So at Roosevelt, over the years, we've often talked about God being sovereign. And if you're not familiar with that word sovereign, just one word we use to describe God being in charge, uh, being in control. So we've talked about God being sovereign, and it's an important way of understanding God because it's a way of making sense of the things that have happened to us. That's how often we've talked about God being sovereign. Many churches and traditions that we're connected to will think of the sovereignty of God. Something has happened, especially something bad, and yet we want to trust that God is still in control, uh, that he's in charge, that he's sovereign over what's happened to us. Uh, we see, of course, this in the Bible. Some classic examples are, are Joseph. So we read the, the story of Joseph. He gets sold into slavery uh, by his brothers. And as he looks back uh, over that time of, of slavery and, and in Egypt and time in prison and all that's happened to him, he still says God is in control. You, my brothers, meant to do evil towards me, but God meant it for good. Uh, I look back over what happened and I still say God is in control. Uh, another example, of course, is Job. And Job, I mean, he goes through a whole mess of things. Uh, uh, and he wrestles with it. It's hard. All these things have happened to him. And yet, as he wrestles with these things, he's wrestling with the fact that he believes that God is in control, that God is sovereign. Uh, he's in charge of all these things. And so this is a legitimate, of course, an approach to, to understanding the sovereignty of God that that's true. Um, it's a reactive way of thinking about the sovereignty of God, isn't it? It's like saying, okay, here's what's happened, and so I'm reacting, I'm responding to what's happened, and the way I want to understand what's happened, the way I want to react to it is to say, I want to understand and believe that God is in control. He's sovereign. And that's how I'm sort of working through that. But uh, that's not the only way I think we can think about God being sovereign. So this morning, what I want to sort of put before us is a way of thinking about God being control, God being sovereign, that, that has us understand that God being sovereign is also an active sovereignty. That God is in control, is able to make things happen, not just react. In other words, here's what's happened and here's how we understand what God is doing. But we should think of God, relate to God, talk to God as someone who can make something happen that we need to have happen. Who needs to change something that we need to have change. A God who can make things happen, who can change things and will change things. Who can and will bring his power to make something different from where we are now. It's a sovereignty that looks actively towards God. And we see this in the prayers of uh, the past black believers. Um, a sense in which they're praying to God, but they're praying to God saying, I need you, God, to act. I'm praying to you because I believe you can act, and so I'm praying that you would change this particular situation. We look at a, a couple here. Um, so these are just different testimonies of, of past, um, of past uh, black believers. One of them says this, a white preacher told us to obey our masters and work hard and sing, and when we die, we'll go to heaven. And Master Tom didn't mind us singing in our cabins at night, but we better not let him catch us praying. Seems like some, though, just got to pray. One person takes Turk's turn to watch and see if Master Tom is about, and then they circle, they circle themselves on the floor in the cabin and pray. To get to moaning low and gentle, and here's what they say, someday, 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 this yoke is going to be lifted off of our shoulders. Another testimony, times we sneaks in the wood and praise the Lord and make us free. And times one of the slaves got happy and made a noise that they heard out in the big house. And the overseer comes and whips us. It's because we prayed this, because we prayed the Lord to set us free. See what that prayer is, right? We need God to do something. We're going to pray for God to do something. We believe he can do something. 
This is a, from a woman named Mary Reynolds. And she's talking about another at nighttime and gathering. Uh, she said, once my mom paused and mom Catherine after night to slip to another place to praying and singing. We praise for the end of tribulation and the end of beatings and for shoes that fit our feet. We pray that us, that's black people, could have all we wanted to eat. This is all we can do. Now, this is after the, the time of slavery. This is early 20th century. So this is during Jim Crow, segregation, discrimination. It's Pastor Francis Grimke, and he says this. Yes, let us pray without ceasing that God would not only help us to build ourselves up in the great and positive elements that go to make up a true manhood or womanhood, but also that he would help us with his own great might to resist with all the energy of our natures these things which stand in the way of our progress. And he's talking specifically about discrimination that they were suffering there. This is early, early 20th century. Um, so what you see in these prayers is a belief in a sovereign God, right? We're praying to God as a God who's in power, who's in control, but it's expressed with the expectation that we need you to do something, God. We need you to change something. Specifically, we need you to bring an end uh, to our enslavement. We need you to bring an end to our discrimination and segregation. We need you to bring an end to these things. Now, all these years back, it's hard to sort of put ourselves back in that time period. We're many years from that, thankfully, and yet it's hard to sort of imagine what it was like back then, how that was the norm. I mean, slavery is, is in the Constitution, right? It's embedded, right, in some of our founding documents. How much it was the norm that, of course, black people are enslaved. Of course, we discriminate and segregate. How much that was the norm. How impossible it was to imagine that it could be different. It's in that background and context that they're praying. This is an impossible situation. If you really read and look at the, the, the time period, I mean, people are making millions and millions of dollars, right, off of oppression and discrimination. As you know, people don't give up money easy, <laughs> all right? We like our money, and we want to make more of it. So you're talking about something that looks impossible, that is impossible, and yet you have people praying for the impossible to happen. People praying and expecting it to happen. And that's key, I think, to a sense of God being sovereign. I want us to sort of recapture for this morning. And, and it's this. It's that God, and we sang this earlier, is the way maker. It's an active view of God's sovereignty. A phrase that you often hear in the historic black church tradition is that God will make a way where there is no way. That God is able to bring things about, and he can bring things about when we cry out to him. There seems to be no way possible. And so I look ahead and say, God, make a way. I'm going to pray to you and keep praying to you until you make a way. And it was the belief and trust that that would eventually happen. That God would make a way. It's a way in which we see God's sovereign power as active, as transforming, as creative, way-making power. And understand, it's a way of understanding the sovereignty of God, the power of God, the, God, the in-chargeness of God, that says that God is doing that personally for us. This is not God acting in some random way. We can think of sort of God being in control and able to make things happen as, as if God is sort of, well, he's sort of just throwing, out his, throwing around his weight. We're not talking about God doing that. We're not talking about God using his power randomly. As if like he's, you know, the, the kid with anthills and he's just like, oh, look how powerful I am. And he's sort of kicking it around, right? That's not how God operates with us. That's not how we're thinking of God when we see God as the way maker. God is the way maker in the sense that he is making a way and he's making a way. He's able to make a way in the ways that are good and right and just and loving for us, especially for us. He's able to do it. And he wants to do it and will do it. It's in that way 
I want us to sort of think about what it means to say we believe that God is in control. He's in control for what will happen, and let's pray to him to make things happen in all the ways that are best and good for us. You know, a verse that speaks well to this is, uh, this is Ephesians chapter 3. So Paul writes this, uh, sort of after writing a bunch of different things, uh, he concludes with this in this chapter, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Let me, let me read that first part again. Now to him, this is sort of a prayer, a blessing he's offering to God. Now to you, God, who was able to do far more abundantly. Not just, I love how extreme the Bible is at times, right? Not just far more, far more abundantly. The Bible is like trying to put a, put a little extra pizzazz on this, a little more oomph, all right? It's not just far more, but far more abundantly. It's a way of God, of the Bible telling us way more, infinitely more than you think. That's the power that God's got, way more, a lot more, more than you might imagine, more than you might think, more than you might ask. He who's able to do far more abundantly, and the, the way this verse is constructed, it wants us to think of this far more abundantly power as being tied directly to us. See how the verse is set up. It's saying, so think about the things you think about, <laughs> the things you ask. See those things, the things you think and you ask? That is met by a God who brings far more abundantly power to it. So think of all those things, your thoughts, your ask, your wants, your needs, and I want you to understand God is bringing power to bear on that, and that power is more than where you start from, more than you might think is possible, more able to bring about what you think or imagine or talk about, far more abundantly. And that power is not way out there. Notice also that the last part of that says, according to the power I work within us. It's power that's already among us. The whole point of the Bible is that this God who's over all things has come near to us, is now in us. And so this power of God that's able to bring change, even impossible change, able to make a way there is no way, it's come near to us. It's so near to us that it's able to meet us in where we think and imagine and say, I'm able to meet you there and take you there. We believe in God as sovereign, in control, in charge, and anyone who looks to him, anyone who trusts in him will experience that power personally. Any community people that looks to him and trusts in him will experience that power communally. Because notice the, the, the last word there is, is that power at work within us. You could argue here, it's power that works within our individual lives, but especially when we're coming together collectively and crying out to the Lord. That God is able to work. He's able to make a way. This verse is telling us that there's no limit to what God can do. No limit to what he can do personally. No limit to what he can do in our community. The only limit is our willingness to ask. The only limit is our willingness to think about it and imagine it. That's the only limit. And God already knows we got those limits. He's, we're human. And God's saying, just so you know, I can go beyond that. I'm able to go beyond that. So think about the difference it makes to think about God this way, to believe God is this way, and to talk to God this way. But think of God to relate to God, to talk about a God who can and will make a way where there is no way. A God who says, I see your current situation. I want you to imagine what it could be, what it should be. And you might say what it could and should be seems impossible, can't happen. I want you to know that's not the kind of God I am. I can make it happen. So pray to me like it can happen. Because I want to bring it. I'm going to make it happen. What you see in the black church tradition is, is the sense in which, I mean, this desperate belief <laughs> 
that this is the God that they have, the God who can make a way in, in the impossible situations they were in, the centuries in which they lived it. And what you see in the black church tradition is sort of a, a draw, especially to the stories of the Bible that show this, over and over how God shows this. And so uh, one of the more popular stories you often hear in the historic black church tradition is the story of Exodus. They often go to it. They often speak about it, sing about it, talk about it, preach it. And you can see, it makes sense why that's a story that they're especially drawn to. Uh, Israelites are in bondage in Egypt. God hears their cry, comes and, and frees them, rescues them from their slavery in Egypt, sets them free. And that's a story, of course, that's going to resonate. Think of uh, the history of black people in this country. For most of our history, we've lived under some sort of oppression, uh, not been free in any capacity for most of the history of the country. There's an instant connection, of course, when you read the story of Exodus. Look at the Israelites who spent a generation in slavery in Egypt. And so there's a pull, to, a draw to that, right? God saved them, right? In the same way God saved Israelites, God can save us. But behind that, I think the real draw here is that it shows the kind of God that we have. Israelites, I mean, to be in slavery in ancient times is like a, perm is not just, it's a permanent condition, right? It's a condition that you expect will be true for not just your kids, but your grandkids and your great-grandkids. They have no land, right? The Israelites have no land. They're, they're in a foreign land, nowhere else to go. There's no way this can change. Yet they cry out to God, and God frees them. And so they cry out to God from those in the past as they suffered under slavery, under racial oppression of the Jim Crow, is a cry to that same God to say, God, I see what you do there. Do it for us. Because you're still that same God. That's the connection to pray to a God who can and will act, to pray to a God who leans into our lives. Doesn't lean away, leans into our lives and a desire for him to work and a belief that he will work and the expectation that he will work. This is what helps us though, especially to believe that God works this way. And it's this, and you see this in, in, in the, the songs and the preaching of the historic black church, is to say, yes, we believe that God, you can work. We believe you can work personally, and we already see the proof of it. It's you come to us in Jesus. Jesus is God making himself personal, coming near to us, being with us, and showing, I, I've been telling you this power I want to bring into your lives is a power that I care to bring personally to you. I care about you personally, and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to become one of you. So you see this in one of the Negro spirituals. There's a spiritual called Mary, Don't You Weep. And what you see in the spiritual is them bringing that connection. The same God who did what he did in Egypt is the same God we find in Jesus. So this, this, this spiritual sort of imagines itself talking to Mary when her, when her brother Lazarus died. And here's what the spiritual says. Oh, Mary, don't you weep. Don't you mourn. Oh, Mary, don't you weep. Don't you mourn. Pharaoh's army got drowned. So Mary, don't you weep. You see what this, the spiritual is doing here. It's tying two, it's doing biblical theology here. It's tying two stories together, right? The story of Exodus, Exodus 14, and the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And so the spiritual, imagining yourself talking to Mary and saying, look, the God who parted the Red Sea so the Israelites could escape, who drowned the army that was coming to re-enslave them, that same God is here in Jesus. And so as you look at your brother who's dead, don't you weep. Don't you mourn thinking that it's over. I mean, death is the most impossible way we can imagine. There's no way out of death. 
And this spiritual says, understand that same way-making God who did all he did in Egypt, he's here in Jesus, and he's able to raise up Lazarus. And to sing this song is to say what was true for the Israelites in Egypt and what was true for Mary as she looked at her dead brother Lazarus is true for us today. We pray to that same God. He's still in that same business. He's not retired. He's not closed down business. He's not closed up shop. He's still in this business. Wherever there seems to be no way, even if it's death, he makes a way. When you think about all that we have in this world, death, and the reason we have death, we have sin, and that's what leads to our death. God is saying, I'm still making a way, and I'm so invested in this. I've come to you in Jesus. Jesus is God making a way out, out of the most ultimate impossible situation, a way out of sin and death, and a way towards hope, to life forever with him. Now, to be clear, when we say that Jesus is God making a way for us, one of the things that I think really brings us especially together for us is understanding that Jesus is God saying, I'm going to make a way, and because I've come to you in Jesus, I'm going to stay with you until that way comes about. That's sort of the other piece to bring in here. God is going to stay with us until that way comes about. Because that helps us understand when sometimes when we're praying, God, make a way where there is no way and it doesn't happen immediately. So you understand when we say God is making a way, one of the other sort of important doctrines in the historic black church is that God is the, I often call him as the time God, right? It's according to his time, his purposes. We trust in that even as we say make a way. And so we're trusting in God's timing, God's purposes, but we understand that God is also saying because of Jesus, you can, pro- you can know for sure I'm going to stay with you until that way happens, until my timing comes about. Because in some circles, we can teach about God making a way for us only when the good things happen. So God make a way, God makes a way for us when the mortgage gets paid off or the marriage works out, the kids work out, when I get the things and the intention that I need. That's God making a way. And understand, that's God being Aladdin's genie, right? The genie in an Aladdin story, he only shows himself to be a genie when he accomplishes the wish. I don't believe you're a genie. Let me do this thing for you. Right? So that's God as genie. Here's the thing, the God of the Bible is better than a genie. The God of the Bible is Jesus. And that's far better than a genie. Because here's what Jesus says to us. He says, believe in me, trust in me, and I'm going to give you good things now. I'm going to give you faith, my spirit, and I'm going to give you all good things eventually. Good things now, all things, good things eventually. And so pray to me. Pray to me, talk to me as someone who's giving you good things now and all things eventually. And also know this, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm going to stick with you until I follow through on all those things. I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's from Hebrews 13, 5. And I think that's what held all this together for those believers in the past and holds it together for us today. Pray and expect that God's going to make a way. And the fuel and encouragement for you in this is knowing that Jesus is not going to leave you until that happens. He's going to stick with you until he brings you every good thing. Whether that's tomorrow, next month, or years from now, Jesus will stay with us. He will be with you in the courtroom. He'll be with you in that hospital room. He will be the friend you need when you're friendless. He'll be the spouse you need when your marriage is falling apart. He will be the grandparent you need or the parent you need. He will be the coworker you desperately been looking for. He will be all the things you need and more for however long is needed. He will do whatever is needed, however long that journey is needed because God is going to make a way and that way will come about and he's going to be there to make sure it happens. Jesus is God's promise to free us from all sin, all pain, and all suffering, and all agony that comes because of our sin. 
And because God keeps his promise, that tells us you can pray big prayers, bold prayers. You can pray the prayers that are kind of risky. Like, I don't know if I should really ask God these things. And God's saying, no, ask it. Do it. Anything that's good and right and true. Ask those things, and Jesus is the 100% guarantee is going to come about. I mean, God has sort of locked himself down by becoming, coming to us, the second person, the son of God, coming and coming to us as Jesus. By becoming human, God is saying, I'm willing to bring human body into myself and live a human life. That's how invested I am into this world, how invested I am into my people. And so that's a guarantee of God saying, hey, I've done everything possible to say I'm with you. And I'm showing you I'm with you. So pray to me as someone who's with you. Expect I'm someone who's with you and is going to bring about the things that I say I'm going to bring about. And the thing we should understand is that when God sort of thinks this way, talks this way, God is saying these things and not saying, hey, I'm not going to do nothing along the way. <laughs> and the history of our, of our country shows this, how God can bring about good things in impossible situations. Slavery can come to an end. Jim Crow and segregation and discrimination can come to an end. And even today, we're not naive to think that the sins of the past have not, some of them have not, have still lingered to the present. We're not naive enough to say that. But we're also able to say, if God can do it back then, he can still do it today. For the sins of the past that still linger today and for the new ways in which we sin, because we're very creative in that way, God is still able to work. He's still able to make a way. I like this quote from uh, Martin Luther King Jr. He says this, the ringing cry of the Christian faith is our God is able. Our God is able. He is able. He's able to do all that we might imagine or think and more. So what is God able to do in your life today? What is God able to do in our community? Let me suggest one place to start. Uh, Here's what God is able to do. According to Philippians 4, 8, we're told to think about these things. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So let me suggest this. Start thinking about those things (laughs) and talking about those things. Think about things that are true and that are honorable, that are just, things that are pure and lovely, that are excellent, that are worthy of praise. Think about those things, talk about those things, and then attach Ephesians 3.20 to it and ask God to go beyond what you're thinking about, beyond what you're talking about, to bring about those things, to bring about those things and even more, even more than what you've thought about or what you've talked about. I don't know all the ways God's going to answer our prayers. I don't know the whole timetable. What I do know is that he will because of the kind of God he is and because he's come to us in Jesus. If Jesus is in this room right now, if you see him and look at him, you will see him nodding yes. In this room right now is Jesus. If you open the eyes of your heart and your soul, you will see him nodding yes. Yes, that good thing that you're thinking about, that true thing, that beautiful thing, that right and good thing, yes. And I know the way there. God has always wanted those things. He's going to make a way to those things. And I will walk with you all the way to the end. I will stay with you until it happens. Let's pray to God that way. Let's talk to God that way. Let's believe in God that way. He is the way maker. Let's pray that he would always make a way and we trust him all along the way. Amen? Lord, thank you for the time we had together and thank you for who you are. And I do pray, um, Lord, for us to 
be uh, maybe more creative in, in how we think and talk about you, Lord. More creative on the lines, Lord, of, of, of what you showed us, Lord. It's not in just any random way, Lord, but in some very strong and important ways, Lord. You're a God who brings freedom, a God who brings life, a God who brings truth and justice and beauty and goodness. You're that type of God, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that even as we see you as someone who's in control over what's already happened to us, let's see you as someone who's in control of what will happen. Let's see you in the God who's in control of what we want to have happen. Uh, Lord, uh, there's many here, Lord, who are in all sorts of situations, uh, and I can't imagine to know the stories of everyone here. But I do know the kind of God that you are. I do know, Lord, you're a God who's personal, who's come to us in Jesus, and promises to stick with us. And so um, we already know the mile markers uh, that we need to pass. Uh, we already know the road that you want to lay down. And so uh, hear our cry. Lord, make a way in our lives and in this community. Make a way, Lord, that brings more of who you are, more of your glory and goodness into our lives. Make a way, Lord, and help us to see the ways in which you're bringing it about. Lord, I pray thanking you, Lord, for how you've already done it. Lord, we shouldn't act as if some of the things that have happened in our lives or in our country are, are just inevitable. Um, Lord, there's every way in which we might sort of say, well, just, some things will never happen. And maybe, Lord, we've bought into that lie. There's some things in our lives and our community that will never happen. Um, Lord, never does not exist for you. And so, Lord, help us to pray to you, Lord, not as a God who, well, can never do it, but as a God who can and will do it. Uh, we pray to you that way now. And we trust that will happen because, Jesus, you're with us. So stick with us, walk with us, and lead us. Uh, and we thank you, uh, Lord. Uh, we thank you for what we know will end up uh, with you forever. Uh, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.